On today's Spotlight on KRWC, first Tuesday of the month of December, and that means on each uh, first Tuesday we get updated on happenings in District 87 school, 877 schools in Buffalo, Hanover, Montrose. Dr. Scott Thielman joins us here for the month of December. Scott, good morning. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, Tim. Um, exciting, and we've had a range of uh, temperatures and snow <laughs> and all of those things to to get us in the mood, right? Nothing real serious yet, thankfully, but uh, enough of a taste of winter that we know what it's about anyway. Tuesday last week felt a little That was a little much, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's now past Thanksgiving, and we're thinking of winter activities and different things that people can do outside. And I know my son is excited about uh, ice fishing and those types of things. Sure. Yep. The cold weather is welcome for him. We have not talked since uh, Election Day, and so I guess we're going to kind of probably start our review of, of the month uh, with that today. And, uh, of course, the... Uh, School board in District 877 had a lot of candidates and a lot of decisions to make. They did, and um, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, the uh, school board election, um, just to refresh everybody's memory, we had only one incumbent um, refile out of the three positions that were up. And as a reminder, every two years there's a school board election. We have a seven-member board, and... Um, in one period, there'll be three seats available for um, for people to file uh, for, and then uh, two years later, it'll be four seats. So this this round, we, we had three seats up for election, and um, we only had uh, one incumbent uh, refile for um, for the Buffalo Hanover Montrose School Board. Um, election, and that was Bob Sansevier. I, before I go into the the candidates who are elected, I just want to say to the two incumbents um, that have uh, served our, our school board, Ken Ogden and um, Amanda Reinick, thank you so much for your service. Uh, Ken was initially um, Ken was initially uh, appointed to the board. Uh, we had a vacancy, and he applied and was appointed and then reelected. And then Amanda Reinick um, won uh, her election. She filed um, and, um, and and won her seat and uh, narrowly um, um, unseating an incumbent. Uh, there were four people for three seats um, five years ago. Um, and I say five because the school board election used to be on an off-year election cycle um, this year, and then we moved it to uh, alignment with the gubernatorial and presidential election cycle. And so when that happened, their um, their terms got extended one year. So um, we thank Ken Ogden. Ken has been a long time. Buffalo community member and had a business in town and just really thank him for his service on the BHM school board. And uh, I know that um, he's uh, looking forward to, I guess, his his time or free time and spending that with family. Um, and their last board meeting will be next week um, on 
December 12th. And so uh, we thank Ken for his service to the Buffalo Hanover Montrose community and um, school district, and then also Amanda Reinick. And Amanda still has uh, children in the system, and um, she opted not to run again. Um, and we really thank Amanda for her uh, service to the Buffalo Hanover Montrose community and um, always, as Ken and all our board members, putting students first and helping us uh, give a, a perspective uh, as she's um, um, from her own children's eyes. So uh, thank you to Ken and Amanda, Ken Ogden and Amanda Reinick for their service. Um, switching back to the current election, the 2022 school board election results are available on the bhmschools.org uh, website. And you can see all the folks that ran. Um, our uh, incumbent, Bob Sansevier, was reelected, the top vote getter out of the seven candidates that uh, filed for um, the election uh, was is Dr. Matt Hoffman. And um, he's a physician with Stellis Health, and um, he, as I said, he was the highest vote getter with 5,543 votes, uh, followed by Bob Sansevier with 4,924 votes, and then the third position is filled by uh, Sheila Smoody, and um, she uh, received 4,802 votes. Um, all of their profiles are still out on the on the website, so you can see um, Sheila is a licensed teacher and is subbed in our district. She's um, a product of the Buffalo Hanover Montrose uh, school um, 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 system, and um, her parents um, uh, have lived in our community. Her mother's. Um, Rita Varner Otnes, and many folks know Rita and uh, deep roots in the Buffalo Hanover Montrose um, community. So, congratulations to um, Mr. Sansevier, Dr. Hoffman, and Ms. Uh, Smoody uh, for their election. We look forward to their service. It'll be a four year term, and um, they begin their service in January. Uh, they were elected in November, and then their first um, official meeting will be at the January um, workshop. And uh, at that time, the board will have their organizational meeting, so that'll be January 9th. And they'll have their uh, organizational meeting, so they'll elect a chair, vice chair, treasurer, uh, clerk, and then acting treasurer clerk out of the seven-member board. So we we congratulate all of them. Yeah, indeed. And I think we've talked uh, about it in the past or mentioned that, uh, boy, you want to talk about uh, grassroots uh, uh, service. Uh, doesn't get much more grassroots than the local school board, but it's become a, a very, very complicated job. Uh, and as the district uh, gets uh, larger and uh, things technology and all kinds of different issues emerge uh, it's uh, it's a big job so we salute uh, anybody willing to uh, to run and those who are elected to serve and you had a really good field lots of candidates too so I mean uh, voters certainly had uh, ample folks to choose from too 
They did. And just so uh, folks get a picture, we the school district, Buffalo Hanover Montrose School District, serves 34,000 residents. So it's more than Buffalo City, more than Montrose, more than Hanover, and it includes all of the townships within that 157 square miles. So it's a it's a um, bigger than people think. You know that it's not uh, a city council; uh, it's a school district that serves um, you know double the size of of the Buffalo City um, uh, limits, and and three or four times. Um, Actually, a lot more than that, 10 times more than a Montrose or a, a Hanover City Council. So it's a it's a big job because um, we're focused on uh, students and student achievement and what's best for kids. So it's a, it's a big job, and we appreciate that people are interested in filing to serve on the board and serve their community and because I know that. That's the attitude, and and when I uh, when you read their profiles, it's about giving back to the community. So um, we're really excited about um, the folks that are are going to be the two new members that are joining the board, and and uh, Mr. Sansevier um, uh, remaining on the board. Very good. You want to switch to state elections? They were held, of course, at the same time. It was a big, big election night, and you had some comments on that too. I did. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen in this election cycle uh, until all the votes were counted. And we now have a governor um, and the House of Representatives and the Minnesota Senate all under one um, one party. And so that can be um, seen as, as good, or some people might see that as bad, <laughs> depending on on um, what uh, what can come out of there, I focus uh, totally on a single um, issue, and that's uh, fully funding uh, public education. And um, we have heard from our governor that um, in his campaign, he talked about um, uh, fully funding education, but it's more into the details. What does that mean? You know, what are you, what is your operational definition of fully funding education? Um, Because uh, there are facts out there that show that when you compare education funding to inflation, um, education is underfunded uh, per pupil by more than uh, $1,500 per Per student, and that's a that's a a big um, a big number uh, when you apply that to about eight hundred thousand students in public education. So um, it'll it'll be interesting to see what the how the governor defines uh, fully funding education, um, what uh, the house uh, comes up with um, when they start looking at their at their targets for education, funding uh, education, and the Senate. Um, just today, uh, we received the November forecast, and um, right, bef- right before we got on the radio, I looked it up, and um, it was posted at about 9.30, 9.45, something like that. Um, Minnesota's projected 
uh, surplus. Um, if I look at the Star Tribune, their their heading is Minnesota's projected surplus soars to $17.6 billion. And in the last um, uh, biennium and last spring, the surplus was a historic $9.3 billion uh, budget surplus. And then because the there was divided government, in, meaning that um, the Senate and the House were not under the um, under the rule of, of the same party, um, nothing got done in that leg- last legislative session, and um, so we'll see. <laughs> this is such a, a surprise. I had been hearing reports that that the um, the fund balance was um, the budget was increasing by about a hundred million per month, but. Um, this is um, double, almost double what um, what we uh, were hearing, and so we'll have to see what happens in the February forecast because um, you know the pundits are out there predicting that we're going to have a recession in 2024, and um, I'm a little skeptical of that when they can't even predict what's going to happen today's in today's market. So. <laughs> I don't know how they can predict a, a year away that we're going to be in a recession. Um, so um, from a education standpoint, um, fully funding education, for me, my operational definition is to um, focus on the general ed uh, funding formula and index it to inflation. And if our legislators can do that and just have it indexed to inflation. At least school boards can create a budget, right? Right now, our budget cycle uh, begins with the enrollment projections uh, that occurred in November. And then our finance and operations director goes in and takes a look at projected enrollments, looks at Wright County birth rates, which are down four or 500 students, since the uh, recession of 2007 and um, have not come back. So if we have fewer students in Wright County, fewer births, that means fewer students in our school districts unless you're growing at uh, a a large rate, and that's really not happening in the BHM school uh, boundaries. Um, And so when we look at... um, uh, at how we fund schools and how we create a budget, if they wait until the February forecast, we won't know those numbers until March. And by then, we're already uh, deep into a staffing process and and looking at our enrollment and, and staffing based on our enrollment. And, um, and for the last two decades, we've really... Um, probably had higher class sizes because we don't have a reliable uh, funding uh, mechanism. And what happens is every year um, the legislature and the governor decide how much education will be, and it's not based on the inflation. It's not based on anything other than what they um, what they feel education can have, even though education is part of Article 13, Section 1 of the Minnesota State Constitution as a priority, 
and that's the only thing uh, besides the trunk highway system that's in the Minnesota State Constitution out of the whole budget. Um, I have a little bias there, Tim. But uh, <laughs> as we talk to our our legislators, I remind them of that all the time. All the other stuff is uh, on the periphery, and it's not in the state's constitution. So when we look at that uh, and how they fund us, it's not until March, and we're already, you know, um, making um, guesses as what they're going to do. And we have to have a budget in place by June 30th, by law. So there's a lot of things that go into creating a budget, and when we're trying to get that done um, on a last-minute uh, detail, and, you know, in the last um, oh, probably six or four bienniums, uh, they haven't, it might even be six bienniums, they haven't come to an agreement and had to go, and they've had to go into special session. So if we could have a reliable for, um, uh, formula that we can count on, uh, at least we would know, hey, it's going to be based on inflation. We know what those inflation rates are. They come out every month, and we can see what the annual inflation rate is. So if the uh, general education funding formula could be indexed to inflation, that would be a, a huge positive for uh, school districts. The other thing that I think has to happen when we fully fund education is recognize the special education deficit. Um, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act was passed in 1975. It still hasn't been funded fully, and that was at a federal level. And the state's response, um, public education is, is the state's responsibility to fund. And so there is a, a deficit that begins at the federal level, and then the state is, is uh, responsible for picking that up. In Minnesota, it hasn't been picked up. It hasn't been funded. And there are estimates anywhere from 730 to $780 million annually that are unfunded, and meaning that it's a deficit. It, they call it a cross-subsidy, but it's a, it's a deficit that um, we have to take out of the general education fund to pay uh, and, and fund the, the federal mandate and the state mandates because there's state mandates in there also. And uh, for Buffalo Hanover Montrose School District, uh, it equates to about $6.2 million annually. And when the school district passed an operating referendum in 2019, um, the community passed a $750 per pupil operating referendum. And we were so grateful and thankful to our community. Um, that has eroded. Uh, that was really, at that time, the equivalent of the special education deficit. And that was uh, $750 per kid, um, just coincidentally. And now um, we're sitting up over $1,000. It's about $1,063 per pupil just for Buffalo Hanover Montrose School District. And that's annually uh, we take. So we've lost $300 per student um, to cover the cost of the, the special ed deficit. So that, to me, would have to be fully funded. If we can uh, index the general education funding formula to um, inflation, 
and then you fully fund the special ed um, cross subsidy deficit. That would be um, that would be a great move um, to help all school districts and uh, public school districts. And then I, I would take it a step further. There's local um, operating referendum or revenue uh, that has board authority. And if you look across the state, uh, the average operating referendum uh, across the state is well over $1,000 per student. And um, if the state could give uh, the local school board the authority to um, match that statewide average, I think that would go a long way to communities that don't even have that uh, local option revenue um, uh, um, that they uh, have in place. So we would look for that. And then the final piece of that would be a property tax equalization. Um, there are communities that are um, not receiving any equalization aid, and uh, there was a lawsuit back in the early 90s, and there was one in the 70s. And um, in in the 90s, the early 90s, it was Skeen versus the state of Minnesota, and uh, Skeen was a, a Buffalo Hanover Mantra school board member. And they looked at um, property wealth and how commercial industrial property um, is taxed at a different rate, and it disproportionately helps uh, those communities that have the commercial industrial property versus um, communities that don't have as much commercial industrial property. And it used to be that you could tell your community, hey, if you give me uh, $0.10, cents, the state will give us $0.90 cents, um, in equalization aid because they recognize the disproportionate and inequitable um, funding that was occurring because of the commercial industrial property um, uh, picking up the, the lion's share of the property tax um, uh, concern or um, commitment. So um, Schools for Equity and Education has been focused on that for many, many years, and I think if we can have uh, the property tax equalization that doesn't give the school district any more money, but it gives our property uh, owners uh, tax relief, um, and it makes it equal uh, across the state. So those are big um, – that's how I would define fully funding uh, public education. Um, we'll see what comes out of our legislative session. It certainly um, is uh, a surprise that – we're going to have a $17.6 billion uh, surplus, and that doesn't even take into account the the reserve account. Uh, Twenty years ago, the reserve account was about $265 million. Now that reserve account is at $3 billion, and I haven't seen in the article if that grew also. So we're, um, we're looking at that. We're also keeping our eye on... Um, unfunded mandates, because a lot of times what happens is they'll um, pass a, a mandate requiring school districts to provide a service uh, without recognizing that it um, there, there are costs associated with that, and then that just eats up any, any additional funding that we've received. And that's been going on for years. So 
I'll stop talking about that. I'm excited, <laughs> but at the same time, I I feel like I have to educate everybody every time we start talking about it because it's so complicated. It really is. Well, and and uh, just one final note on that too is that uh, as you can see uh, in the uh, operating levy outcomes uh, here in Wright County. Uh, the districts that were asking two out of three failed. So I mean, the mm-hmm. the message, yeah. uh, you know, it's certainly up to the voters and the residents. No question about that. But the message yeah. is getting kind of mixed around, uh, and you can tell that there is confusion there. There exactly, and and it's the state's responsibility to fully fund public education, and they're not doing it at a level when all the all the communities, all the school districts have to go out for an operating referendum just to make ends meet. And like you said, uh, they're not passing, and uh, that that hurts kids, even though, like I said, it's the state's responsibility in Article 13, Section 1. And um, that that's what we try to hammer home with our elected officials. It'll be an interesting session for sure. Uh, in the yeah. couple minutes we've got left, uh, Scott, uh, I know you've got some winter scheduling, some holiday happenings, and things like that. Yeah, uh, just we're in, as we said, we're into the holiday season, and we've got um, orchestra and band concerts coming through the the rest of the month. Um, Sounds of the season choir concert uh, used to be just on one day. Uh, because our community and parents attend that. Um, uh, it's extended to two days, so that's on the 15th and 16th next week. And then we have um, the 7th and 8th grade band concerts, choir concerts uh, that are coming up. Um, the band concert, the big band concert, uh, is on the 12th. And last night we had the orchestra um, uh, concert, and then Buffalo Community Orchestra, um, and uh, they come in and, and provide a concert at um, the Performing Arts Center out at the high school. So that'll be on the 11th. All of this information is out on our website, on our calendar. So if you go to BHM Schools with an S dot uh, org, you can see, you click on the calendar icon, and you can see all of the information. Um, about, um, and, and it was sent to every home too. Uh, and then we'll have our winter break will begin on the 23rd of December and extend through um, uh, January 2nd because New Year's Day will be observed on January 2nd and kids will come back on January 3rd. Uh, just want to commend our students, um, BHM or BCMS, uh, the middle school students donated 633 pairs of socks to the Buffalo Rotary's Adopt-A-Family program. Tatanka Elementary STEM school students are collecting food items to make uh, 200 holiday baskets for local families. Hanover Elementary students are collecting winter coats, boots, mittens, hats, and gloves for a holiday giving tree for their holiday giving tree. Uh, Montrose Elementary uh, School of Innovation students are collecting toys for the Toys for Tots program. Parkside Elementary students are collecting food for the Buffalo Food Shelf, and I know I'm missing a couple others in there. But I just um, I want to uh, also congratulate our student. Uh, we had some state uh, swim meet qualifiers. Um, uh, Haley Crossland uh, uh, finished 16th. 
um, in in the state swim meet, and then Brianna Schroyer uh, was seventh in the 200 meter IM and fourth in the breaststroke. Uh, so we congratulate uh, Brianna for finishing in the top ten. Uh, I'd also like to congratulate our education support staff of the year recipients, uh, Mr. Dan Manns, head engineer at Parkside Elementary School. Um, is Chris Wurzberger, registrar at Buffalo High School, uh, Amy Motts, um, educational support paraprofessional at uh, um, Buffalo Community Middle School, and Jill Ebling, kid care lead supervisor at Northwinds Elementary School. Congratulations to all of our education support staff and then our leadership and educational excellence award recipients, Teachers of the Year. Um, uh, this year, Jennifer Lunning, social studies teacher at um, BCMS, Buffalo Community Middle School. Steve Carlson, school psychologist at um, Buffalo High School. Alexandra Edwards, Title I teacher at uh, Montrose Elementary School of Innovation. And Dana Luke, first grade teacher at Tatanka Elementary STEM School. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Tim. All right. Well, uh, Scott, always uh, good to talk to you. It'll be the new year when we chat again, so hope you and yours and the whole district has a a great holiday season, and uh, we'll talk in the new year. Thanks, Tim, to you and your family and all of our listeners. All right. Great. Have a good day. Thanks much. District 877 School Superintendent Dr. Scott Thielman, our guest in this December edition of Spotlight here on KRWC.